verse 1, a well-known verse. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, if you've been around church or Christians at any length in your life, you have heard this verse. You've heard it. Uh, you, uh, eventually, some of you have memorized it, even partially, to know that you're to present yourselves to God. Uh, this is the pleasing thing to God. You maybe know the second part about do not be transformed or conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. These two verses are just well-known, if not fully uh, then partially, you must ask then, what is it about these verses that makes people point you to them, right? People are constantly pointing you to Romans 12.1. Oh yeah, but remember, you know, um, to present yourselves to God and this is your spiritual worship or your reasonable service. What is it about people that is pointing them here or you even have pointed people to these verses? What is so important about, especially verse 1, that out of 31,000 verses in the Bible, that we're more aware of this one? Out of 31,000 verses, why does this one stand out at us as familiar? Why is it so important? There's one of two reasons that any Bible verse becomes like that. Uh, It's either that uh, people have taken it out of context because it makes them feel nice. That's one reason verses become popular. And, And the second reason is because it contains a foundational truth about what Christian life is supposed to be. That's the other reason. Either it's taken out of context and is meant to make you feel good... Or it's because it is a foundational truth that you need to live properly and to glorify God. Last week, we took uh, the time to understand the reason why we do what we do. Why does this following section in chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, why does it make sense? And why does it make sense that uh, when you're practicing all the things that are held within this section that you're doing it without being a law keeper in moralism and you're just forgetting grace? How is it that you can apply this section of the Bible, this super practical section, without being a legalist? How can you do it? What's the reason that there is anything in true worship, even in following the commands in advance? How does it flow from grace? As we read from verse 1, we saw that Paul appealed to us. He he said, do these things, all that I'm about to say, all that God is about to say, do them because of His mercy. Because of the magnitude of God's mercy and all you see and all you realize, what God has done for you that you do not deserve, therefore, therefore live this way. So what he's saying in all of these sections, we read through the chapter last week and you just see, yeah, so practical about Loving being genuine. Loving each other out of brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing love. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing. Contributing to the needs. Like all those things. Why do you do them? Do you do them so that you feel good? Do you do them so that you have a checklist that God looks at you and says, you know what? You've been pretty good. No, Paul says, I appeal to you. Like I'm begging you, do not forget that this is because of the mercy of God. And so here in this 
very first verse in chapter 12, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to do something. I appeal to you. Do something. What is that something? He says, present your bodies to God. Present your bodies. The idea of a presentation is a choice. No one can twist your arm and it still be called you presenting. Right? This is an offering, a personal choice that someone has to make. He says, based on God's mercies, you need to make this choice to present yourself to God. It has to be willful. It must be intentional. It does not just happen. What he's about to tell us never happens by mistake. You don't just happen across, you know, your whole self being given to God. That didn't happen because you fell asleep at the wheel or something. No, this only happens by a willful, intentional thing of you presenting yourself to God. As a sidetrack, we must note the wording here. And it's helpful to correct maybe a false idea that comes or an undermining of the truth. Oftentimes you'll hear the word decision be used. I made a decision to follow Jesus. I decided, right? We even sing the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. A decision. And and based on that decision, I have dedicated my life to Jesus. And then I've rededicated my life to Jesus. And I've rededicated my life to Jesus. This language of dedication, that's not the language that Paul says here. He does not use language of dedication, but instead presentation. And there's a minor difference, but it is significant when it comes to our faith. Here we see the concept of presentation, not dedication. Think about what dedication is. What is a dedication? It is saying, we dedicate this building. You may use this building as it is for whatever purpose. To dedicate something is, here's this thing, as it is, it's yours. It's not to be changed. This is yours as it is. We've built this building and dedicated it to you. But we decided how to build it. And this is how it is. Or we dedicate children. Like, we can't do anything with this kid. We can't change the kid. And so we just dedicate the kid to you, God. But it, but it is as it is. Like, I can't do anything with it. So we dedicate children to God's service. We dedicate buildings to God's purpose. It's the difference between dedicating and presenting. Dedication says, take me as I am. And presentation says, take me and do whatever you please with me. Take me and break me and spend me and consume me and tear me down and build me up. Do as you please. I present this. This is all yours. You're in control. You own it now. Do as you wish. Versus, this is my thing. It's going to stay as it is, but use it if you'd like. That's a difference, a minor difference between dedication and presentation. You're presenting yourself here. It says, present yourself, present your bodies to God. It's never accidental, always intentional, but it needs a motive, right? If you're going to be presenting yourself to God for his use, and not just as you are, like, hey, Jesus, take me as I am, and maybe work with me, okay? Try to use my inconsistencies. No, no. Presentation says... I'm wholly yours. Make me nothing. 
make me nothing. Pull me apart if you need to. However, you can, if you can use my fingernail, take it. It's yours. But it needs a motive. Why would you ever do something like that? Because you realize the cost of presentation. Why would you ever present yourself to God and say, I am all yours. And there is no questions asked. This is a blank check with my life. Why would you do something like that? It needs a motivation. Paul gave it to us, and we discussed that last week. It's about remembering the magnitude of the mercies of God. Why would you ever give yourself fully to God? Because you realize that all you are is His to begin with. That He made you, He gives you breath, He sustains you, and then you, in your own selfishness, say, No, I'm mine. I'll do what I please, when I please, and how I please, O God. And we sin against God that way. And God in his grace and mercy, still giving us life, also gives us Jesus. and says, you know what? I'm going to forgive you. You you don't deserve to be forgiven because you think you got this. But I'm going to forgive you. And the way I'm going to do it is costly. So based on his mercy towards you, and just not even striking you down with lightning the moment you sin, he is so gracious towards you. He sustains your life. He gives you Christ. He takes away your record of sin. You just think of the mercy that He's poured upon you and you say, the only logical conclusion is Jesus gave His life for me. Therefore, I present my life to Him. That's what this verse is telling us. Based on the mercies of God, because of the mercies of God, present yourself to God. That's your motivation. So then how does it look? Is this like a one-time presentation? Like, uh, when I was seven years old, I I raised my hand, I said, Jesus, I I decide to follow you, and I'm dedicating my life to you, Jesus. Oh yeah, and a week later, because I, I, like, lied, I'm going to dedicate my life to you again, Jesus. What does this look like? What does this dedication look like? What does this presentation look like? Is it a one-time event when you were seven, or 20, or 37? It is a life of presenting yourself. But what's important is also the end goal. You see the end of verse 1, in, uh, other than the King James, the translations which most often are translated as your spiritual worship. This is the way you worship God. I'm going to explain why the King James uses reasonable service, because it's a great translation as well. But it is, the idea is the end goal is worship. We want God to be worshipped with our life. We want people to adore God with our life. And we want our whole life, our whole selves, to be of worship to God, ascribing worth to Him, reflecting glory back to Him, being restored to our original created purpose. That is to reflect God. So that's the end goal of you then presenting yourself and say, God, use me. Every single part of me, use me so that people may see you. Every part of me. He says, present your bodies. That, that is just capturing the whole person. Right? You, you cannot escape any part of you when he says, present your bodies. He doesn't say, you know what, present your hearts to Jesus. Or present your minds to Jesus. You know, become an intellect. Know a lot about Jesus. Right? Or present your heart and like, maybe your emotions can start to like, feel sorry for other people or something. No, he says, present your bodies. And here he's capturing the whole self. Your personality. Your uh, tendencies. Your gifts. Your talents. Present your hands and your feet and your mind and your eyes and your ears. Present everything you are, every member of your body, to God. 
We have the same language Paul uses in Romans chapter 6. And it's, a, it's an incredible contrast. And he even paints it in Romans chapter 6. He paints the contrast. Here's what it says in Romans 6, verse 12 to 14. He says, Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are no longer under law but under grace. There he's talking about the body as different members. The finger is a member of the body. The eye is a member of the body. He says, present all your members which were once given up to sin. Present them now to God for his use for instruments of righteousness. May God use them. Your whole bodies, your whole self. Present your ears to God as instruments for righteousness. Present your eyes to God. And you must ask, well, how do I do that? Or how do I know if I'm doing that? How do I know if I'm actually giving my eyes uh, to God and saying, use them as you will? However you use the different parts of your body, say, could I thank God for this? Whatever you're watching on TV, using your eyes that way, could I thank God for this? Could I thank God for what I've been listening to and what I've been outputting? Could I thank God for this? And would God be pleased with this? With how I'm using my ears and my hands and my feet in this moment? Would he be pleased? And not only would he be pleased, but is it helping to fulfill his mission in the world? That is, people seeing him as beautiful, People knowing that they have sinned against him and that they need him to rescue them. Is my body, every member of my body, presented to God? It's not just presented to um, some religious system or some X, Y, and Z that you need to do. Like, here, present yourself to this and and make sure you do these things. It's almost like uh, it's not like in a, a soldier in the army, right? Present yourself to your... Uh, your general or your sergeant, and they will do as they please with your body and make you do 100 push-ups or whatever it might be. This is not the same. This is presenting yourself to God. It's like the child who takes your money and buys you a gift. The gift is precious, but it was your money. So when we present ourselves to God... We're saying, oh God, look, look, I'm giving you my hands, I'm giving you my feet, I'm giving you like a little piece of my paycheck. He's like, that's nice. Yeah, that's, that's nice. I gave you that paycheck. The entire thing. Because I gave you the hands to work, and I gave you the intellect to go. Like, oh yeah, here God, here's a piece of me. Isn't that great? He's like, he appreciates it like you appreciate a gift from a child. Right? So there's no undermining how much he appreciates you presenting. Just this piddly thing you give him. But you must realize that you're giving God what's already His, even when you give Him a smidgen or you give Him it all. And so that's why it says, present yourselves, your whole selves, to God. It's His. And you've come to realize that because the beginning of verse 1 says, you've realized the magnitude of mercy. You realize what God has done for you. So now you realize what you ought to do for Him. Say, use me. Use me however you please, in whatever way you please. Use me. I'm all yours. Break me down. Consume me. That, I, that language of consuming is, is great, but sometimes we miss it. 
It's almost like empty my bank account. Consume it if you want. Same thing with us. Consume me. Use me. Use all of my energy. Use all of my intellect. Use all of my uh, talents and abilities. Use all of my resources. All of my physical strength. Use it all. Use it. Even to the last drop so that there's nothing left in me. I don't care. Use it. That's this idea here. So when Jesus says that the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he means it. Use your whole self for God and let him spend you. Every last bit of you. Let him spend you. Present yourselves and your bodies, every part of you, to God. And he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. When you come to Jesus... You do not simply die to old self. You do. But you now also live to God in Christ. You are living. Coming to Jesus means dying, absolutely. Old man, old desires, old affections, dead. That's why I love Romans 6, beginning of Romans 6, where it talks about uh, us being baptized into Christ. It's like, you died. All that you were, all that you hoped for, all that you loved... All that you lived for is dead. But now, you've been raised anew. You have a new life. You're a new creation. And we know from 1 Corinthians. And so, here, though we die, we live. This living sacrifice has ongoing usefulness. Doesn't it? If it was a dead sacrifice that got consumed once, it's done being used. It was good for one time only like certain coupons. But that's not what we offer to God here. It is a living sacrifice of ongoing usefulness. The sacrifice is, yes, going to end one thing, the old man. But it is more than a sacrificial offering. It's about setting apart, consecrating your whole self to service. God, use this. This is a sacrifice. So, You know, this obviously has the language of the Old Testament in it, the living sacrifice, but the reality was it wasn't living, right? They would slit an animal's throat, spread blood over here, burn the thing, and consume it on the altar. But it was for God's service. So part of that, some of the sacrifices will be used to feed the temple servants. And it all had a different purpose, but here... It's also for service. Present your whole bodies as a living sacrifice. Ongoing service. This sacrifice then ends something. It ends slavery to the old man. It ends offering up your bodies to sin. That's what it ends. It ends the question of your purpose in life. What's the point? Why do I exist? Why does God let me live another day? Why am I here? Offering yourself up to God as a sacrifice ends that. It says, here's your purpose. Your purpose is service to God in all things. A sacrifice is either complete or it's not. You can't say, ah, here God, have my hand. It's full or it's incomplete. In Matthew 19, 20 and 21, there is a a rich young ruler that comes to Jesus. You may know the story. He comes to him and he says, um, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like, I want to go to heaven, Jesus. How do I get there? And Jesus says, well, just obey the commandments, right? Keep them perfectly. And he says, well, which ones? 
And so Jesus rhymes off some. He says, yeah, I've kept all of them. And he says, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to this man, he says, if you would be perfect, go and sell all that you possess and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And the young man heard this, and he went away sorrowful because he was very wealthy. This man wanted to inherit eternal life. He would give God his morals. Here, I'll follow the law. I will, I will not uh, commit adultery. I will not murder. I will not steal. He says, give me the commandments. I'll do them. And I've done them, Jesus. And then Jesus says, all right, give me your, your heart. He says, not too much. He, he got to his heart through his money. But reality was, he says, no, I, I can't give you my whole self. And he went away sorrowful. The guy comes wanting eternal life and thinking he's, he's pretty good. He probably thought when he came to Jesus, I got this. And Jesus is going to affirm me. He's going to say, you're secure in your salvation, son. And he walked away empty. Because Jesus exposed that this man had not actually given himself to God. He'd not given himself. It's like if you're selling your house to a new owner, but then claiming that you still have right over a certain room. And that you have control of that room. And as much as it's their house, they're not allowed to use that room. It's locked. It's yours. It's for your use. It's too valuable for you. And they can't touch it. But oh, no, no, no. They own the the whole house. It's theirs, right? Except for that room. That room is yours. And you will not give it up. It's the same thing that this rich young ruler did. Jesus, you can have all of me. He says, well, what about your heart? He says, no, don't touch that. What about all of your wealth? No, don't touch that. You you can have everything. I'll I'll give you my perfect life and my perfect rap sheet. How about you give up your idol? Don't touch it. And he walked away sorrowful. Who owns this home? Is it the person who, who now paid the price for it? Or is it you who's still in control of the one room? Yeah. You know who's holding that house captive. It's you. And we do this with Jesus. We do it with Jesus. He paid the price for us. 1 Corinthians 6.20 For you have been bought with a price. So glorify God with your bodies. We say we are all His. But then we put restrictions on how He may use us. And what part of our lives He may enter and control. We limit His access to certain parts of us. Jesus, you have all of me. Except... Don't ask for that. We often do this with Jesus. Jesus, I am all yours. Well, except I don't want you interrupting my comfort level. Jesus, uh, you can have my whole life except my savings account for the sake of missions. Jesus, you can have my whole life except my house for the sake of hospitality. Jesus, you can have my whole life except for my reputation because I don't want to evangelize. Jesus, you can have my whole life except for my health. Jesus, you can have my whole life except for my family relationships for the sake of my faith. I don't want to share my faith because I might ruin my family. Jesus, you see? Jesus, I need a retirement savings, you see? Jesus, my house is my own thing. I don't want to open that up to strangers and especially poor people. Especially maybe homeless people. You don't know what they're going to do with my stuff, Jesus. I'm all yours, Jesus. Except I'm not. 
We do this all the time. Same problem as the rich, young ruler. We do it all the time. Jesus, if you ask me to give up any of these things to follow you, you're asking too much, is what we say. For access to things that I still want to control, an area of my life that is too precious to me, something that's too valuable to me, too comfortable to me, Jesus, I am all yours, except I am not. Happens all the time. All the time. We say we're all Jesus, but we're not. Why do we only try to offer up the easy parts to Jesus? Right? We, we offer up the costless parts. Things that don't cost us much. Things that are pretty simple to give up. We say, yeah, Jesus, you can have that. No problem. But what about the, the things that are hard? Is what you are doing, is what you are giving up actually sacrificial? You know what? A sacrifice hurts. It hurts. So when he tells us to give our lives as a sacrifice, if your life as a Christian isn't painful to give things up, you're not living as a sacrifice, really. Sacrifice means you've given outside your comfort, you've given outside your means, you've given in a way that costs you something. Missionaries sacrifice by leaving friendships, comforts of home, foods they're used to, family. They give up the comfort of a nice house and a nice car and they go and they live in a mud puddle in a foreign nation. They sacrifice. It costs them something. So then when we think about our, oh man, it's hard to think. eh? You know, you and I, we have so many comforts. Do I really sacrifice for Jesus? Why do I only give up costless parts to Jesus? What are the things that you need to offer up to God. I say, God, I think I've held this back from you. For some people, it is their whole lives. It's their whole selves. They may talk out of one side and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But they, they haven't really given themselves at all to Jesus. Not their hearts, not their lives, not their sin. You've got to give yourself to Jesus. What are you holding on too tightly? If Jesus was to come to you like he did the rich young ruler, and he said, give this up and follow me, what would you hesitate about? We ought to give it all up to God, he says. All up to God. Isn't it all his? So uh, there's this constant reminder. I want to remind you constantly of the who it's for. It's to God. So when you're considering what you are holding back at this very moment, realize it's God's. Already, it belongs to him. It's deserving of God's use. Here's how he tells us to present ourselves. Not only as a living sacrifice, it's something that costs us something and it has ongoing usefulness. Living sacrifice. But the sacrifice is described. It's holy and acceptable to God. Holy. A word that some people are allergic to. Uh, a concept that we sometimes do not understand well. What does it mean to be then offered as a holy sacrifice? Old Testament, you realize that meant, he said, I don't want a blemish in this sacrifice, right? Like I want the firstborn without spot or blemish. What does it mean for you and me to be that sacrifice on the altar, presenting ourselves to God saying, I am all yours as holy. What does that even mean? Because you, if you're like me, you look in the mirror and you say, not holy. I'm not holy. 
I'm not pure as I ought to be, so how can I present myself to God? Should I just cop out and say, never mind? Because I can't present a holy sacrifice, because I can't be holy perfectly, I should just not try? Should just not offer myself to God? Kevin DeYoung helps give us the anatomy of holiness. Here's what it is. It is the mind filled with the knowledge of God and fixed on what is good. And he's going to go through all the different parts of the body, the members. It is the eyes that turn away from sensuality and shudder at the sight of evil. It is the mouth that tells the truth and refuses to gossip, slander, or speak what is coarse or obscene. The spirit is earnest, steadfast, and gentle. The heart is full of joy instead of hopelessness. It's full of patience instead of irritability. Kindness instead of anger. Humility instead of pride, and thankfulness instead of envy. The sexual organs are pure, being reserved for the privacy of marriage between one woman and one man. The feet move towards the lowly and away from senseless conflict, divisions, and wild parties. The hands are quick to help those in need and ready to fold in prayer. This is the anatomy of holiness. This is what it means to set your body apart for God. That's what holiness is. It's set apart, consecrated to God for service. That's holiness. Set yourself to God for his use. So think. Kevin Young does a great job. There's a book called A Hole in Your Holiness. We have it in the church library. Great book. If you want to think about what does it mean for me to be holy, A Hole in Your Holiness. We often misinterpret what it means to be holy. It just means to be setting that thing to God instead of to godlessness. Okay? And it says here, not only present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy, but it also says acceptable. This is where the beauty of the gospel is so precious to me. What makes me acceptable to God? I am, as Paul, a chief of sinners, scum of the earth, a worm. What makes me acceptable to God that he would even be pleased to take my sacrifice? That he even be okay with me coming into his presence? What makes you and I acceptable to God? Jesus. Jesus. When you live the Christian life, that is, you died to your old self, now you live in Jesus, you present yourself to God and he sees Jesus. And the more he sees of Jesus, the more he takes pleasure and delight in you because Jesus reflects his perfect character. And then when people see Jesus, they see God as they ought to. And he gets glory and adoration and praise as he should. So what makes you acceptable to say, how can I even offer myself to God? Say, I'm not offering me and my brokenness and my insufficiencies. I'm offering Jesus in me. That's why my whole self is given up to Jesus, to be consumed by Jesus, spent for Jesus, living for Jesus, and it's Jesus I present. God accept this. And he, he has. He has. Twice we read in the Gospels where God says to Jesus and says to those who are around Jesus, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. You know what's amazing about that? Is he looks on you and says the same thing. Not because he sees you're great and you've done really good to like keep a checklist. Because he looks on you and he sees Jesus. And so he says, this is my son or this is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. I am pleased at their sacrifice. 
because it reflects me and all that I'm worth. So present yourself to God as a living sacrifice, holy, set apart to his service, and acceptable, which is in Jesus. Don't try to present yourself as your own works. Like, here, God, accept all that I can do apart from Jesus. So no, look what Jesus can do through me. Look at the fruit that you are bearing in me. More patience and more kindness towards those who I normally would not talk to. Look what you have done, O oh God. And he says, I'm pleased with that. I'm, I'm pleased with that. And that is a true reflection of you being thankful for his mercy, isn't it? It's acceptable to God again. And this, it says at the end, is your spiritual worship. Uh, Douglas Moo says, We give ourselves to God as his sacrifices when we understand his grace and its place in our lives. We offer ourselves not ignorantly like animals brought to a slaughter. We offer ourselves not ignorantly like animals brought to a slaughter. They have no clue what's going on. But you do. Not ignorantly as animals brought to a slaughter, but intelligently and willingly. This is the worship that pleases God. So the King James translates this word literally. It says reasonable. That is the literal translation of the Greek word. The Greek word is the same word we get logic out of. Logikos. That's the word here that most translations now use spiritual for. Because they wanted to steer away from the idea of like, oh, Paul's just um, appealing to philosophy. And so logic and philosophy and reason. But we know that this spiritual worship is reasonable. It is the only reasonable thing to do. When you've experienced the mercies of God, you give your life to God. That's the only reasonable thing to do. Anything else is irrational. If God has given you His life in Christ, given you forgiveness of your sin, given you new life and the power of the Spirit to conquer sin, it is irrational for you to hold back from God. Right? It's irrational. We give ourselves to God. And this is rational. It's to God. This is what makes it worship. Giving ourselves to God. Ascribing worth to God. God, you are worthy of my whole self. You're worthy of my hands being used for you. You're worthy of my eyes being used for you, my mind being used for you, my talents, my money, my home, my car, my family. You are worthy. And that's what worship is. It's saying that he is worthy. This takes place in everyday life then. This is not just a a one-time setting yourself up to God. This is a day in and day out, living, continual, present, active sacrifice. It's to God. Ascribing worth to Him. Remember how the book of Romans starts. Shows us the fundamental sin of you and I. Romans 1.25 They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshipped and served creature rather than the Creator. That's a fundamental sin. Is wrong worship is worshiping the created things, holding them of higher value than God. So there's this turnaround. The mercies of God transforms you. And here's how it's going to transform you. That you worship Him completely. With your whole self. With everything you have, everything He has given you. 
what this all looks like in daily life is fleshed out in the following passages, and we will dive in and dig into these uh, in the coming weeks. Next week, we're going to look and see how the mind ought to be presented to God for his use. How do we use our mind, our intellect, our ability to comprehend? How do we use that for God's use and for his worship? This morning, it was put to us to consider and to ask ourselves, have you given yourself fully to God? Have you given yourself fully to God? For most of us, we know that we certainly should. That God is so satisfying. He is so worth it. He is so gracious. He is so good. He is so deserving. We know we should give ourselves to God fully. But do we? Do you? Can you, in this moment, allow your heart to be exposed? What is it that you're holding back from God? How much of you are you holding back from God? What part of your life are you saying, God, that's too far. God, you're asking too much. What part are you holding back? This morning is time to stop. It's time to stop withholding what God deserves. Here's the thing. You're sitting and you're stewing and you go, yeah, I know that I've, I like that thing too much. That I would not be willing to give it up. And you maybe think, well, I'm alone in this. I'm, I'm probably a sinner and I probably don't even believe in Jesus maybe. But what's beautiful is if we're all honest in this room, none of us have given ourselves wholly and perfectly to God. Not a single one. And that's where we come to the throne of grace. God, we're so thankful for your mercies. Even in this moment, as we realize and we're being exposed that this I hold on to and this I don't really want to give to God and this is too hard. We come to God for mercy. Say, God, forgive me for that. Forgive me for holding back this part of my life from you. And help me. Help me to not just be so burdened down with guilt now that I don't do anything about it or that I just walk away. No, no, God, help me by your mercy to see why I do that. Because everything has a motivation. So why do I hold that thing of of greater value than God in my life? We all do it. We're so thankful for the mercy of God. To not only expose it, but then to help us. To chisel away at that thing. Listen, you don't need, and God never expects, perfection overnight. But by His grace, He is progressing us. He's making us more like Jesus. He's reflecting himself in us daily. And it, it happens through things like this, like chiseling away and exposing us and going, ouch, that part uh, God needs to do some work on. There's a part of me that I'm holding back and, and God deserves it. So today you get, you get to go home and, and, and plead to the mercy of God and say, God, I need you to you look on me with mercy. Like I am desperate in this moment. Because I've been withholding this or that from you. God, help me. I I don't know what that looks like. And I don't know how I'm to give it up to you as a living sacrifice. But I know you deserve it. And I know I ought to. So help me by your mercy. Let me look again at the cross of Jesus. Let me look again at the forgiveness. That if I just come to him, he's forgiven me. That he's given me life. He's given me not just life in this moment. Not just satisfaction in Jesus now. But life eternal. Only through Jesus. God, let me see those mercies and let those transform the way I think about my whole self for your honor and for your use. Let's pray to that end.
God, you are a great God. And great is too small a word. And God, we, we come now realizing how, how much you've given us, how everything we have is yours. And God, we also realize that we hold back things, that we are just like the rich young ruler. That there are parts of our lives that we want to maintain control on, that we would have a hard time giving up if you asked us today. So God, we plead to your mercy we ask you to forgive us for withholding those things, and we, we ask for your help to show us how we might begin to offer them up as a sacrifice for your use. That we might say, you can consume them. This thing that I hold on to, God, I want to say, consume it for your glory and for your use. God, help us by your mercy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.